Guess who's back? Back again. This is back. Tell your friends. Welcome, dissidents. We're hard at work on season three, but do you know what happened this week? The Supreme Court is back in session. I'm Elizabeth Slattery. And I'm Anastasia Bowden. And today we have a bonus episode. The court's decision is indefensible. I respectfully dissent. Because the majority in this case has not done what a court of law must do, I respectfully dissent. For these reasons and others elaborated, in my opinion, I respectfully dissent. We respectfully dissent. I respectfully dissent. I respectfully dissent. I dissent. Okay, so welcome back, dissidents. We're here on the first week of the new Supreme Court term with a special guest, Mr. Andrew Heaton who is an author, funny man, self-proclaimed lawyer-adjacent human, and host of the podcast, The Political Orphanage. So welcome to Dispod, Andrew. Hello. I am delighted to be here and happy to kick off the first week of uh, the Supreme Court with you all. It's my favorite week of the year and very pleased to be here. Now, you're you're basically a lawyer, aren't you? That's what you told me. I, so th- this, is, this is how I feel. Um, my dad is a federal judge, so I grew up going to barbecues with judges so I feel like I have a, a a lawyerly temperament, and I really do enjoy law. Like I I, uh, I I did an entire week on jurisprudence on my show, The Political Orphanage, about a year ago, where I, I dived into originalism and living constitutionalism, and uh, got Tim Sandifer to to rant about occupational licensing, and I, I really enjoy it. So I, I feel like uh, I I can at least hang out with attorneys without them rolling their eyes. Attorney adjacent, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Attorney adjacent. So what is the latest at SCOTUS? The justices are back. They're in person. They're hearing arguments other than Justice Kavanaugh because he has COVID. So he's been participating remotely. And I suspect he also missed Justice Barrett's official formal investiture. This is a ceremony they have at the court. And I think there's usually some sort of traditional celebration dinner afterwards that the second most junior justice organizes. So I would love to know what kind of rager Justice Kavanaugh had planned for Justice Barrett, but he missed it. But the justices are back. And first out of the gate, Justice Clarence Thomas, famously known pre-pandemic for being quiet during oral argument. He really came into his own in the COVID era argument format where it was very orderly. The justices took turns. They weren't jumping all over each other. But... They're back, and he is still asking questions. But don't take it from me. In an original action between Tennessee and Mississippi this week, here's what he had to say first out of the gate. Well, uh, counsel, you um, seem to complain about uh, Tennessee pumping water from Mississippi, but you admit that Tennessee does not enter across the border into Mississippi. Isn't that correct? But let's talk about some of the big cases that are coming up this term. Guns, abortion, executions, so much. Uh, So first up, uh, on November 3rd, the Supreme Court will hear a challenge to New York's requirement that people must show proper cause in order to obtain a license to carry a concealed firearm for self-defense. Wait, another New York-based gun case? Didn't they just hear one, you might be wondering? And yes, they did. Uh, But the city of New York changed the challenge regulation after the case got up to the Supreme Court and after defending the regulation as constitutional for more than six years. So the court said that that case was moot. Uh, But this new case asks the justices to construe the bare part of keep and bear arms. Uh, Previous cases dealt with the ability to keep 
a firearm in your home and now we're uh we're on to the bear phase and what that means outside of the home so just briefly the state argues that this proper cause requirement is basically the equivalent of a time place and manner restriction on speech and it's totally fine the challengers say look the second amendment doesn't limit the right to a subset of people who can show some sort of special need and that separate you know that separates them from the general public so predictions thoughts comments what do you think is going to happen i suspect that this will get struck down just because i don't think that the court composition is that different than dc versus heller so I, I think that they're probably going to go pro-gun in this regard um the thing that i'm interested in however is the fact that the law that is under scrutiny right now is is based off of like a hundred year old law in new york um i think dc versus heller kind of invoked some of the older historical precedents so i'm curious as to how that plays out it just so happens we're working on an episode uh, coming soon on the dueling originalist opinions in D.C. versus Heller, the um, Scalia majority that was originalist and the Stevens dissent that was also purportedly originalist. We'll see how the argument goes, but just looking at different justices' records, you know, Justice Barrett, when she was on the appeals court, um, she had a great dissent, a very thorough originalist dissent in a Second Amendment case um, while she was on the appeals court. Kavanaugh is very skeptical, you know, from his time on the D.C. Circuit, as well as, you know, in the in the previous New York case. And Alito, Thomas and Gorsuch all dissented. And, you know, Thomas has called the Second Amendment, you know, a disfavored, orphaned constitutional right. So, yeah, it's, I think it's more of an issue. Everyone thinks they're going to rule with a certain outcome. But the question is, how will they do? it and sort of how will they fill out the contours of what it means to have that individual individual right to keep and bear arms because ever since McDonald and Heller where where it was established that you have this individual right independent of being in the militia they haven't really explained what it means to have that right so i guess i think we can all we can hazard to guess the outcome the question is more about what is the scope of that right? Nobody knows. Yeah. And the lower courts, you know, were kind of left to figure it out on their own what standard of review to apply. You know, is this intermediate scrutiny? Is it something else? Is it, you know, strict scrutiny for all laws, strict scrutiny for all laws. I will die on this hill. Plus, isn't it? It only pertains to handguns, right? Isn't that the, the issue here? Um, I, I ask that because the precedent that was set would be interesting with some of the other guns that are currently restricted. So like right now in the United States, you can't buy a machine gun unless you have a license for it. Uh, so you can get one if you own like a shooting range and tourists in Las Vegas come in to fire your machine gun and get selfies for their wedding or whatever, but you can't get it to kill deer. But if you were to rule that you can't have these kinds of restrictions on certain types of guns, then it could open the door for those being legal. Yeah. So I'm sure the, the law at issue details what types of firearms are permissible uh, but i don't think that's really at at issue it's re it's really attacking the the proper cause standard and whether whether it's okay um to to say that somebody needs to show they have some super duper special reason for self-defense um that entitles them to um to the license but let's move on from guns to something even hotter even more controversial there's only one thing more controversial than guns Abortion. Uh, yeah, I think everyone's been been talking about this lately, given the existence of the Texas heartbeat bill, as it's been called, given that the Supreme Court refused to take up that case on its emergency docket, the shadow docket, shadow, shadow docket. Uh, but, you know, what people weren't paying attention to so much was the fact that there's already an abortion case on the sunshine docket, as we might call it. 
uh, having to do with Mississippi's ban on abortions after 15 weeks. So under Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, women broadly have a fundamental right to secure an abortion before viability. That is, of course, when the fetus can survive outside the body. Mississippi banned abortions after 15 weeks, except for in cases of health emergencies or fetal abnormalities. And the plaintiffs say this violates their fundamental right as protected by Roe and Casey. And, you know, the court was even hesitant to take up this case. It was relisted several times. And the chief justice you know, historically, he's actually he he wrote an opinion, I think it was last term, right, where striking down a Louisiana law that required doctors who perform abortions to have admitting privileges at hospitals because he said that that was an undue burden on the right to have an abortion. So the chief justice has been sort of interesting, as he kind of is, really. He's a nuanced guy. But the majority has changed here. Now we have Barrett. There is a 6-3 so-called conservative majority, although I I don't love that terminology because justices are lawyers doing law. They are not political hacks. But anyway, the majority has changed. So what's going to happen here is are they going to make a bold swing at Roe v. Wade? We have yet to find out. But my own guess here is that they will not do something totally radical or even if it seems radical, it's never as radical as people think it is. Because even, for example, if they said that abortion is no longer a fundamental right, that does not make abortion all of a sudden illegal and inaccessible in all 50 states. It just means restrictions on that right are no longer subject to strict scrutiny. So everyone just calm down in advance. Take a chill pill. I think you're right about that, that if, if say, I, I don't think they're going to use this to flat out uh, turn overturn Roe versus Wade. If they did, there are seven states that currently have anti-abortion legislation still on the books uh, that are still on the statutes that would automatically outlaw abortion were that to happen. Uh, and there are 53 states that that would not happen in. And there are presently a bunch of states like Texas that you mentioned or Mississippi, where it's technically legal, but they're making it more and more difficult to obtain it legally. Hence the reason for Dobbs versus Jackson's women or Jackson Women's Health Organization, where in order to get an abortion, you have to have uh, three different doctors sign their name in gold on a particular piece of paper and then deliver you to the location via speedboat and all these different things, right? Um, so there's the, the the kind of hindrances and obstacles, I think, are the, the big thing coming up. I also, I don't think that it'll be a, a massive uh, watershed event either. I think that people overestimate how conservative uh, uh, Roberts is. I think that he's fairly deferential to precedent, and I, I don't see him trying to make big waves. Yeah, and another thing in the news, the uh, the Texas case that the uh, the media and plenty of people on Twitter, there was a lot of hullabaloo about the court not ruling on an emergency basis on that. Just this week, a federal district court enjoined the Texas law. You know, so these uh, these challenges are, are continuing apace in the the proper you know process. Um, things don't just jump leapfrog all the way to the Supreme Court, uh, no matter how important some people may think but the to, issue is. To be clear, the Supreme Court is a super Senate of unelected policymakers that dictate decisions based on what we ought to have the law be, right? I just want to make sure that I, I have that fundamental understanding of the court system. Uh, their job is to enact legislation that congressmen were too lazy to do themselves. Exactly. Too lazy. Yes, exactly. Okay, good. Just want to make it's sure. It's too hard uh, to make law uh, through, you know, our elected people. Yes. Um, okay, but moving on to another thing that was brewing on the, sh the shadow dock. Shadow dock. In the last few years, this is executions and religious inmates requests at their final moments. So in the past few years, there have been several emergency stay applications asking the justices to halt an execution because a state would not accommodate an inmate's request to have a spiritual advisor 
of his or her choosing um, in the execution chamber. So the court dealt with many of these in late night orders, sometimes siding with the inmate, sometimes siding with the state. Um, these, you know, th these emergency actions are what we call, you know, things on the shadow docket. Shadow docket. Should we be taking a drink every time we say that? I mean, I know it's only two o'clock here for me, so. The justices, though, have requested full briefing and scheduled one of these cases for expedited oral argument on November 1st, perhaps because the inmate did not wait until the 11th hour to petition the court for review. Uh, and this is a case out of Texas, and the issue is whether the state's decision to uh, to allow the inmate's pastor to be present, but not allow him to audibly pray, can't even move his mouth, um, whether that violates the federal law that protects prisoners' uh, religious freedom, which is known as RELUPA. I love the the acronyms, RELUPA. I love Latin. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, it's def Rifra, Relupa, definitely Latin. I would hazard, uh, the court tends to be pretty aggressive in enforcing Relupa. Uh, the last case involving it, I think, was six years ago. And this was a prisoner who wanted to maintain a half-inch beard for religious reasons. And uh, the state said no, uh, but allowed others to maintain similar beards for medical reasons. And the Supreme Court unanimously slapped that down and sided uh, with the with the inmate. So we'll see what happens here. What do you guys think? I am surprised that this is not open and shut. Um, like I, I took some religious studies and law classes in college and am aware that we have quite a lot of precedent in terms of adjudicating these types of matters. And the main way that courts have historically tried to determine whether or not somebody's religious liberty is being violated is by seeing whether the action is detrimental to their faith. So it just you can't just go in and say, I have decided that as a Unitarian, I'm going to wear a green shirt every Tuesday. You can't make me wear an orange shirt when I'm in prison. You're not allowed to do that. Um, what you can do is say uh, it is absolutely essential to my faith as a Catholic that I, I get sacraments every so often. I have to have access to a priest for confession. I have to have access to a priest for uh, for communion. And that, that needs to be delivered to you in prison. Otherwise, you're denying them that. Or conversely, with... Um, uh, conscientious objectors, we have a long history of this, of, of Quakers and of Mennonites and Amish people who cannot, because of the dictum of their faith, engage in, in warfare. But it doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. And I don't see this really hitting that bright line of being detrimental to the guy's faith. He he wants to have a pastor there to put hands on him and pray as he dies, which I agree seems like a very good emotional thing to do. It seems like a comforting thing to have at the end of your life. I don't take any issue or umbrage with the the desire that he has to issue uh, to to leave in this more peaceful manner, but I I don't believe that that has really anything to do with something that would be considered detrimental to his faith. The pastor's allowed to be in the room. The pastor's allowed to pray to him. Um, there's he's not part of a sect that that believes that unless you have your hands on you uh, at the time of death that you you know you don't go to Valhalla or anything like that. So I'm I'm surprised it's gotten this far in the process. Yeah, I wonder if part of the reason that they are hearing, you know, that they they asked for briefing and, and argument is because it comes on the heels of several of these similar cases. And so they they wanted to uh, decide it on their sunshine docket uh. and take the time to really consider the arguments um, from both sides. It's a funny thing. I mean, it gets the court into the business of deciding what is detrimental to somebody's faith, right? That's just who are you, Andrew, to decide 
what's detrimental to this guy's face. No, it's super, super gray area. Like, and, and, and there are things, there are times where you're going to have to abrogate those things. Like uh, um, Sikhs, or, or it might be Sikh, I believe it's Sikhs, are supposed to have a ceremonial dagger with them. But you don't get to have one of those in prison. It's just not going to happen. Like, uh, or alternately, like, like if you're a Muslim, you're supposed to go on the Hajj at some point in your life. You're supposed to go to Mecca. We're not going to let you go on a field trip. Like you don't get to do that, right? So there are going to be certain certain barriers that are going to be imposed there just for general public safety. Uh, but yeah, it does get kind of messy because you basically have to have jurists ruling on what they consider to be a high priority in your religion versus um, you know ornamental things. Yeah, back to my campaign for strict scrutiny for all laws. I mean, laws like that that would restrict a person's ability to go on the Hajj or what have you. Those would satisfy strict scrutiny, right? And this is why I'm on this train is because. Truly necessary laws are going to pass the required level of scrutiny. And that's why we don't need to be worried about um, people coming up with with crazy excuses to avoid generally applicable laws. We just need to hold the government to a high standard and the bad laws are going to fall and the good, law, good laws will not. So. And RELUPA, the federal law that the inmate is suing under, is a codified version of strict scrutiny. Strict scrutiny for all, everyone. Just from the state's perspective here, I it I don't. They say it's a security. It's a security issue. That's why he can't audibly pray, although they used to allow this. And then they just said, we're not going to allow anyone's spiritual advisors in. And then they relented and said, OK, we are going to allow them. But they can't say anything. They can't, you know, they can't blink. They can't move their mouths. They can't do anything. Oh, te Texas is being a dick. Like, no, what, what happened was they used to allow pastors in uh, and I believe Muslim clerics as well to to be with death row inmates. And then a Buddhist wanted to do it. And they went, well, we don't like Buddhists. That doesn't count. And the court went, you can't pick which religion you allow in the death room, Texas. So Texas went, fine. No one gets to have a pastor. And now they've They've allowed them in, but they have to stand quietly in the corner yeah, of the room at this yeah. point. It, it seems unnecessary. I mean, pastors are there to pray. Like, that's what they do. So the laying hands on the inmate during the execution, I can get why that's not that's not going to fly for security reasons. But someone praying, you know, if they become disruptive, you can remove them. But uh, that's that's what's more interesting to me. It's more interesting to me. What's the burden on the state? Not what's like I don't I don't think it should be on the religious person to have to justify or to explain why it's a burden. It's like, why is it such a burden on the state? That seems more natural to me. Liberty. But we should move on. I just wanted to take this moment to talk about some cert petitions that are pending that may eventually be accepted by the court. One of those cert petitions is, or that will soon be filed, is Lent versus California Coastal Commission. This is a PLF case, incidentally. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it is shameless self-promotion. But also, this case is fascinating. Our clients bought a beachfront property in Malibu in 2002, and along one of the sides of the house, the prior owners had installed a fence to block the public from falling off a short cliff, basically. And the government calls that cliff beach access. It's undeveloped beach access. It could be beach access if the government ever developed it and put up a stairwell. But right now, it is a shortfall to the ground. And so these owners have put up a fence. And the California Coastal Commission demanded that our clients, the Lents, remove that fence to restore beach access. They got into quite of a bit of a a tiff about it. And eventually what ended up happening was the commission imposed a penalty of $4.185 million against the Lentz for failing to remove the fence. And one commissioner explained that 
He had quadrupled what was recommended to find the lens with because, quote, we don't want to be in a position of rewarding applicants that have been fighting with us. So that's why he really upped the upped the fine there. And at hearing, they were afforded no due process. They didn't have a right to uh, demand testimony under oath or any of the normal sort of due process reassurances that come along with being deprived of millions of dollars. And so the question that we were presenting before the court is, does that uh, violate the Eighth Amendment's prohibition on excessive fines? And does it prohibit, uh, or pardon me, does it uh, violate the Constitution's promise of due process before the law? An outrageous case. Crazy, right? Crazy. Is is there by chance a precedent that establishes what constitutes an outrageous fine? As in, you know, X percent of a person's income or X percent of national median wage or something like that? Yeah, like anything, I think it's more of there's a standard, right? Like about what just kind of you don't the court never gives figures or even with cruel and unusual punishment, it's not like this list of things is cruel and unusual. Mm-hmm. It's it's a standard, you know, right. and, and yeah. then that's what courts do. They apply that standard. I'd, I'd say four million is excessive for what is essentially a zoning discrepancy argument with with and protecting the public with, from falling to their death with with yeah I would say zero compelling interest like it's not like they're blocking access to a hospital right like the the absolute worst case scenario here the literal worst case scenario would be that they're blocking access to a beach which is basically a desert with a hole at the end but the the uh, the the actual thing happening is just that they're they're infracting on this easement by like. 27 inches? Yeah, basically. They won't take down the gate to this undeveloped beach access. I mean, power is one hell of a drug. Another shameless promotion for PLF. We have another cert petition pending that was filed a couple of weeks ago. Our clients, Mike and Chantel Sackett, bought a a lot in a partially developed subdivision in 2004. And they have not been able to begin building their home on it in all this time. That's because the EPA slapped them with a compliance order back in 2004 saying that their lot is a federally protected wetland. And the EPA fought the Sackett's ability to get independent judicial scrutiny of this compliance order. Fought it all the way up to the Supreme Court, which unanimously ruled for the Sackett's uh, saying that EPA compliance orders are reviewable in federal court. That was in 2012. It is many years later, and the Sackets are still fighting with the EPA. And uh, the fight now is over whether their property is even subject to the EPA's jurisdiction under the Clean Water Act. So shall we move along to a little game we like to call Name That Dissenter? But it's Poetry Edition. Okay, well, I'm going to start it off with my my one meager poem. It's about a famous dissenter. There once was a judge from Nantucket who didn't agree with the rest. Instead of joining, he said, F*** it, and dropped a dissent from the bench. First of all, I love this poem. I'll be honest with you. I, I had this less traction for me than I anticipated uh, in terms of, because this could theoretically be... Okay, so wait, hold on, wait, wait, we can, so this, this guy. A great Irish American, although I don't know if there's a single opinion of his I agree with. He died a long time ago, though, so it's not like I know him personally. This Um, is a hard one, Elizabeth. I mean, I know the answer, but. I just really wanted to use Nantucket, and he's the only one that I know. Is he from Nantucket? Well, he would spend his summers in Nantucket, so 
and back in the day, his last name starts with a B. <laughs> back in the day, before the court, the court doesn't always tell you when the last day of its term is. And so the Supreme Court reporters back in the 1970s would call the ferry that takes you over to Nantucket to see when this justice had booked a reservation to go over to the ferry so they could figure out, reverse engineer what the last day of the term would be. I'm going to go with Beckett. That's really close. It's William Brennan. So you're close. Okay. I, I wouldn't expect, you know, a legal adjacent, lawyer Thank adjacent you. to necessarily know uh, Justice Brennan. Well, I, I've heard of Justice Brennan and I just completely swung and missed on Beckett. Has there been a Supreme Court justice named Beckett? Did I, did I get that at all right? Not that I know of. I don't think so. Although there are some, I mean, there are some obscure... 19, you know. I mean, there could have been, just like there could have been a Justice Bowden that we don't know about. But Ah, oh, the mists of history. <laughs> There's no way to know until archaeologists are able to, to dig up all the graves of the Supreme Court justices of yore. Let's hear, uh, let's hear a poem from our, from our guest. Oh, very major model of a modern major justice who brought a baton whilst speaking to conduct sing-alongs and marked himself with doublet stripes, bringing operetta to the court. Chief Justice Rehnquist? Nailed it. Yes, that is right. Chief Justice Rehnquist. Uh, and Famous for his robes. For, yeah, and, the, and the, the two stripes. This is uh, one of the things I think is really funny about the guy. Those two golden stripes on his on his arms were because he loved the Lord Chancellor from Lolantha, uh, which is a Gilbert and Sullivan operetta. He had swag. Yeah, he had swag. No wonder he and Sandra Day O'Connor dated in law school. Mm -hmm. It's that swagger. He proposed, right? I think he, he did, out. yeah. Didn't he? He did. Yeah. Can't wait to see that Lifetime film when they finally make that. I'd watch it. Small but fierce, firm but kind, she broke through barriers when no one would let her. Quill in hand, scrunchy in hair, she wrote dissents like Ledbetter. Loved by many, even those dissimilar, the death of her husband left Scalia a wreck. She asked for no favors. She earned what she got. She asked only men take boots off our neck. That her dissents were not great is the irony but still, all hail the mighty RBG. Ginsburg. Yes. Ginsburg. <laughs> Man. Yay. Your poem is so much more eloquent mm -hmm. than my Yeah, you're little... definitely winning the, the poem off. Uh, we should say the reason we're doing this is because you are a poet. I, I am. So for anybody completely mystified, I wrote a book uh, about four months ago called Los Angeles is Hideous. Poems about an ugly city, which is a funny coffee table book making fun of Los Angeles through verse. And so uh, you all have delightfully and graciously invited me on to to uh, be be funny with poems. Yeah, wonderful. Right, hit us with your next one. Okay. On the note of humor. Oh, witty jurist, repose in peace, knowing that art, thou art statistically the funniest. With 77 recorded courtroom laughs in one term, well ahead of Briar's 45 and the zero of Thomas. <laughs> Scalia. Scalia. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, was, I was doing some research on this. He's apparently the statistically funniest jurist that we have evidence for. Because they actually went through and recorded the amount of laughter elicited by judges on the Supreme Court. And he knocked it out of the park one year with 77. Okay, I have one more. It's a, it's a haiku, so it's short. Mm, good. The great John Marshall, Jujitsu's Jefferson with judicial review. Oh, it's about a case, not a justice, obviously. Oh. Is it Marlbury versus Madison? Woo! Ding, ding, ding! Well done. Whew. Thank you. Oh, I'm, fe I'm feeling better. I'm feeling better. I I'm, I'm retaining my adjacency, I think. <laughs> I hereby certify you adjacent. <laughs> I got one more. Okay, oh, let's hear it. it. Okay. An affable man who, for a time, 
kept a picture of a lesbian snowboarder on his desk. Shall I ever meet you in a Walmart parking lot and invite you to my camper for beer and hot dogs? I mean, is it Thomas because of the camper and the yeah. hot? What's the the lesbian? I, Explain. Some, some anecdote I found <laughs> is that apparently he made friends with one of the clerks whose partner, her partner was a snowboarder and he kept her picture on the on his desk for a while. Like he became friends with a couple and had that on there. And I was like, well, that's touching. But the thing I like about Thomas is that like, I, I uh, when I fled California during lockdown, lived out of a camper for five months. And I was like, so wait, hold on. If I hang out at more Walmart parking lots on the East Coast, I might literally end up hanging out with Thomas. Oh, not just the East Coast. They do the whole country. That was an obscure, obscure reference. And um, by the way, beautiful reading, like dramatic, lovely reading. Thank you. But Andrew, tell our listeners where they can hear more from you. Hello, listeners. I recommend you check out the Political Orphanage, and I will even make it easy for you. Uh, I am going to make a, a web link. If you go to MightyHeaton.com slash dist, you can hear, I'll put right at the top of that, the episode that I did with Anastasia so that you can hear her, which was a really fun episode that I enjoyed and that people enjoyed. So if, if you've not quite got your fix of your lovely hosts yet, you can get a little bit of that on my program. And I'll put in there some of the uh, judge week that I did last year where I got into the nature of jurists and the various philosophies governing them. So mightyheaton.com slash dist will take you there. But otherwise, go check out The Political Orphanage, a show designed for people that want to understand what's happening in politics and governance without getting stuck in the red team versus blue team rock'em sock'em robots partisan hackery that's for you thanks for listening to this if you enjoyed this podcast subscribe wherever you get your podcasts <laughs> what is it and don't forget to rate and review <laughs> five stars only five stars only and tell your friends to check out dist <laughs>